The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Now on Mitchell's Front Page, On the Road with Toby Hagan. Well, for the last time this year, good morning, Toby. How are you? Morning, Mitchell. Very well, thanks. Uh, The Kia EV6, you've had a look at it, but they wouldn't let you drive it. No, not let me drive it at the moment. There's only four of them in the country. But a pretty important car for Kia uh, and, and for the uh, the EV or the growth in EVs generally. So the EV6 is the first um, the first Kia built off a bespoke or a ground-up EV architecture. Uh, it's the sister car underneath to the Hyundai Ioniq 5. Now, anyone who's, who's tracked the progress of the Ioniq 5 will realise that it's been uh, very hard to get hold of them. They've been uh, in pretty short supply and in pretty hot demand. Um, and the EV6 is expected to uh, to have a similar issue when it arrives early next year in Australia. Kia's saying they're only going to get 500 of them throughout 2022. And uh, look, it's a pretty um, a pretty important car from an image perspective for the brand because it uh, it really does shift things on in terms of that EV uh, that EV sales pitch. And um, it's a pretty impressive thing up close. I mean, it's got some really interesting detailing going on in terms of the car. So little things like on the uh, on the pedals, for example, you've got a plus and minus button. It's it's a little bit of that gamer thinking going on with the uh, with the pedals in the car. Um, it's got really interesting use of LED lights, including um, a sort of highlight light off the rear spoiler, so highlighting the uh, the rear hips of the car or the rear wheel arch of the car. And it's got a heap of space inside. I mean, this is a car that, um, you know, again, being based off that, that architecture that started life as an electric car, it's got a flat floor in the back, for example. It's got a lot of rear leg room. Um, it's got uh, a very open and spacious cabin, but also some really interesting uh, finishes and materials and, uh, and a lot of technology going on. It's not looking like being cheap. They're talking, uh, well, they haven't actually announced pricing yet, but the feeling is it's going to be up around about the $80,000 mark plus. So it, uh, it won't be a cheap vehicle. But uh, as I said, plenty of substance there. That was one of the things I was reading about um, Kia because there was a, a news outlet. I think it was news.com.au doing some rankings of vehicles and seeing how they're performing and all that sort of thing. And I think one of the things they said about Kia was um, very expensive cars, um, and that was sort of the main reason why they perhaps weren't as um, desirable as some of the others, but the features and the reliability and all that sort of thing that they pack into it um, is very admirable, but it seems like this is continuing with that price in the sort of 80,000s range. Yeah, look, it's, I suspect what you might have been reading there would, be, would have been their car of the year testing where they did have some more expensive versions of the Kia's on offer because Kia generally has some pretty sharp value going on. That said, you're right, they are pushing into more expensive categories and they're trying to reposition the brand, I guess, away from that cheap and cheerful and value focus up towards uh, a little bit more premium. And, and look, they've been delivering on it in terms of some of the features and the presentation of their vehicles, um, but that that doesn't translate overnight to uh, to instantly different uh, buyers. You've got, to, you've got to sort of move them along and convince them that uh, that's where your brand's going. But certainly as a brand, they uh, have made pretty big strides in recent years and certainly the Kia Stinger, uh, the performance car, I think that's helped it. And they're thinking that uh, this EV6 will be the next uh, sort of uh, pretty big shift to, to push them into a different market category. And how competitive do you think that is in the overall lineup of electric vehicles? Um, and when we're talking about electric vehicles, I mean ones that have been designed from the ground up as electric vehicles. Yeah, look, I think it'll be, it'll certainly be a very strong contender, albeit with that premium price tag. 
I can't see it having anything like the um, the mainstream appeal of, for example, a Tesla Model 3, which these days is a mainstream selling car. I mean, it looks like they're going to sell close to 10,000 of them in Australia this year. So um, I can't see the key getting to that, at least in the format they've got it in now. And that's the thing. With this car at the moment, um, and similarly with Hyundai, they've packed everything into them. So they've made them, because they can't get enough supply out of the factory, They've gone for a very top-end model, I guess, to maximise um, uh, your, your profits on the way through. You've got people queuing to own them. No point sending them the cheap and cheerful. You send them the uh, the more expensive version. So that's where we're at at the moment. So I, I think there's every expectation that maybe in, in about two years or so, we're going to start seeing more affordable versions of this EV6. Hopefully, it can get closer to that $60,000 market, which point I think it will have a potentially a, uh, a decent impact on the EV segment. Now, uh, Volkswagen has announced a teaser of its new Amarok. I've got a friend who has an Amarok, so I've driven in it a few times. And as far as Utes go, I think it's a really, really nice car and I actually like the look of it as well. So I'd imagine the new one would be pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, a couple of teaser images, they're, they're sketches, they're, they're digital sketches at the moment, but um, uh, they do give a bit of a, a clue as to where they're going with more um, more pronounced wheel arches, for example, and a real sort of chunky look to it. But keeping a bit of that Euro flair, that European flair that I think the uh, the Amarok's done quite well to date. Where the current Amarok's probably falling a bit short is interior. It's starting to feel a bit tired inside, which is understandable. It's about a decade old, so it's been on the market for quite a while. Um, the new one certainly steps that up. And, and that teaser image, you can see uh, quite a large set of touchscreen arranged in a portrait configuration. So instead of the normal landscape, they've given it a portrait uh, layout and certainly a more upmarket look to the interior with some digital uh, instrument clusters and so on. So, so look, um, very important car for Volkswagen. I mean, this is a car in Australia that sells extremely well. And, uh, you know, globally, it's not sold in America, for example. It's not sold in some other parts of the world, but it's a very important car for Volkswagen in Australia. And um, unfortunately, they've got a bit of a wait going on. It won't be out till 2023 in the, in the early part of 2023. Now, for anyone who follows that Ute market, they'll also be aware that this Amarok, this next generation, second generation Amarok, is actually shared under the skin with the Ford Ranger. So the two of them were developed together. Um, and while Volkswagen, for example, has has gone extremely well in recent years with the V6 version of the Amarok, one of the only ones on the market, most of the Utes are four-cylinders or the five-cylinder uh, uh, Ford these days, but uh, most of the Utes are four-cylinders and that V6 has been extremely successful for them. And um, uh, they, well, I think it's fairly safe to assume they will continue that, but it looks like, and they haven't confirmed this, but it looks like it will be uh, a Ford V6 rather than a, a Volkswagen V6. So again, I guess that sharing under the skin, uh, keeping it simple and uh, and borrowing uh, one that's already been developed for the new Ranger that comes out next year. Now, you've obviously been a very successful motoring journalist and put out a lot of good content, but um, how interested are you in motorsport and watching that sort of thing, like the F1, for example? Yeah, generally pretty interested and, and certainly was extremely interested last night. Obviously, the final round of the, the Formula One Championship where um, uh, it's been an incredible season where we've seen... Uh, two very different drivers, uh, Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton, battled it out for the entire year. And they went into the final round level on points, so absolutely equal on points. It's only the second time it's happened in Formula One history, the last time being in 1974. And um, uh, an amazing race. I mean, controversy on lap one uh, where... where Verstappen went to overtake Hamilton. Hamilton went off the track, got an advantage, but it was deemed okay, and that was certainly very controversial. But also Hamilton, uh, also controversy on the final lap, where they came out of a safety car period 
um, and Mercedes had been dominant. Lewis Hamilton was leading the race. Uh, Ten laps from the end, he looked unbeatable. He looked like he was going to cruise across the line. All of a sudden, there was a crash. A safety car came out, and when they restarted with a single lap to go, um, Verstappen managed to sweep past him on fresh tyres and uh, and take the victory. So extremely controversial. Mercedes uh, lodged a couple of protests. Those protests have been dismissed, but they're also going to appeal one of them and, uh, and try and push it further. They believe they were robbed. And um, uh, as I said, a lot of controversy in that final race, which is indicative of what happened throughout the season. We saw controversy throughout the Formula 1 season, and it certainly continued right up until the final lap. And uh, in the F2, an Australian has won. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Little uh, An Aussie, Oscar Piastri. So 20 years old. Um, and look, he's had an extremely good year. Uh, won the last four races, including uh, including this this weekend at, uh, at Abu Dhabi. And um, uh, in his rookie year, so as his first year in Formula 2, he's fresh from uh, the previous year winning the Formula 3 championship. And uh, now the Formula 2 championship, the natural progression, obviously, is then to Formula 1, um, which he's making a half progression to Formula 1. He'll be a reserve driver for next year, but not a mainstream driver. So uh, that's a little bit of a disappointment for him. But you'd have to say it's only a matter of time until uh, he gets into a Formula 1 car full-time because uh, he certainly has the talent, as I said, put on a very clean year. And you've been driving a new Lexus, the first electric car from Lexus, and you drive a lot of very impressive cars. But how does this one stack up? Yeah, the UX300E. Look, it's been a long time coming for Lexus. I guess you look at uh, uh, that brand and, and they've really led the debate on hybrid cars. They were doing hybrids long before any of the other car makers uh, considered it. And um, uh, it took them a long time, though. They're one of the last ones. They're pretty much the last of the mainstream luxury brands to get to a full electric car. Um, <coughs> that UX300E is it's based on the UX, which is Lexus's compact SUV. Not super cheap, starting at around about uh, the eighty thousand dollar mark, and uh, and heading up from there. But um, but look, it drives nicely. It's got an immaculately presented interior, and they've certainly put a lot of equipment in there to justify, I guess, that significant price tag. But uh, where it falls short a little bit is in the electric drivetrain. So it's only a front wheel drive. It's a single motor front wheel drive. It's got good performance. Sometimes it struggles to get that performance to the road, uh, and it also hasn't got got much in terms of range. So you'll you'll potentially be charging more than uh, than you would be with other EVs. But as I said, good to see them getting into that EV space finally. Well, thank you very much for being on the program and really appreciate your contribution, not just throughout this year, but also I saw your first appearance on the show was October the 22nd, 2014. So appreciate the seven <laughs> years you've done. You've brought so many interesting stories to our listeners and even just watching how motoring's changed over that. I mean, we were hardly talking about electric cars in 2014 and now look where we are. So thank you so much for your contribution. It's just, It's been wonderful. No, absolute pleasure, Mitchell. Uh, look forward to coming back next year. Thank you very much. Toby Hagen there, our motoring correspondent, the uh, editor of evcentral.com.au. Great website where he puts up everything that's happening in the world of electric vehicles. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.